0: Welcome to the Collective Scope Podcast, where we talk to great leaders who are influencing the next generation. Welcome to the Collective Scope Podcast, and again, I'm solo as my friend and partner Rob Foltz is in Louisville doing some uh, doctorate study, so eventually we'll have the good Dr. Robert Foltz back with us, but it may be uh, a little while until he's doctor. But we do have with us Shane Pruitt. Shane is the National Next Gen Evangelism Director for the North American Mission Board. He served as a church planner, lead pastor, student pastor, worked for his denomination for a while, and him and his family, and this we have in common, five kids live in Rockwall, Texas. So, so I think we can kind of empathize with each other on the five. That's a, that's a lot. So, so how does a dad, dad of five kids like you, I know you're traveling right now, stay, stay gone and come home. And how, how does
1: all that work out for you? Oh my goodness. I love it. Yes. Um, yeah, like you said, we've got five kids that are 13 and under. Yeah. You can oh, identify mercy. with that. I always say that is a, that's a prayer request. That's a constant prayer request. Yep. Yeah. And then, uh, our two oldest daughters, uh, 13 and eight, uh, are, are biological daughters. And then we have a seven year old, a four year old and a two year old that uh, are uh, two sons and a daughter through adoption. And so, man, great question. I tell you, I'll I'll just be honest and transparent. There are plenty of times when I come in from the road or the air and I have to stop in the driveway, sit there, take a moment of silence, pray and ask God to give me supernatural energy because I wanna go in and give my best to my family and not the leftovers, right? All right. um, but yeah, but i tell you what, like playing at the park with the kids or going on a date with my wife really does energize me. Um, and so, man, it's a blessing. So I always That's say during my primary ministry, everything else I do is from the overflow of that. That's
0: awesome. That's awesome. And, and as I read off on your bio, you did some some work as student pastor. Um, I did two tours of student pastoring. It's kind of like war. Like you just go and it's like, uh, instead of like bullets, it's Skittles and marshmallows get thrown at you. Um, <laughs> But Obviously, as a, as a dad of, of 13 and under, mine are all tweens and teens. Uh, my oldest is 18 and a half. My youngest is 11. So that we're in that tween years. You've got a lot of skin in the game in this next generation conversation. So what, what does that mean? You're the National Next Generation Evangelism Director. That's a big title. What, do you, what does that mean for you? What do you do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It is a long title, and then we always jump. And then when you add for the North American Mission Board, that doesn't really fit on a business card, for sure. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, it's been pretty public in Southern Baptist life that uh, baptisms have been in decline for a while, and then student baptisms have really been in decline. And so there has been an intentional focus by the Southern Baptist Convention on evangelism, um, and so they hired uh, a mentor of mine uh, about a year ago, Johnny Hunt, uh, to be uh, the vice president uh, at Nam, uh, overseeing uh, evangelism leadership development. And then I've done some ministry for him and their church. And so he goes, hey, I want you to come on, join our team. Uh, you know, I was already doing a lot of itinerant ministry, speaking, preaching. I'm an evangelist at heart. Uh, and then primarily to the next generation, he goes, hey, I want you to come on our team. Do what you do uh, and continue to do it on a national level. And so really my my job is to to preach and speak to the next generation. As I do that, find some things that God's doing amongst that generation, maybe some commonalities of healthy ministries that are truly reaching that generation, and then being able to to network and connect and celebrate that on a national level, and then be able to equip churches, uh, um, local associations, networks of churches. Uh, to um, reach the next generation and say, hey, here's some common things I'm seeing across the nation, what God's doing, be able to communicate that. And then, you know, and then through that too, also uh, partner with ministries who are doing it well. And then if there's maybe a need uh, and we don't have a tool or ministry that we know of that, that's doing it well, then also help develop some, some evangelism tools, some resources on uh, equipping, reaching, mobilizing the next generation. Yeah.
0: That's good. What, what are some of these things? I mean, you're traveling quite a bit. I mean, I track with yeah. you on social media. What, what are you seeing take place all around the country as far as, as you're, you're more in the youth ministry field? What, what are you sure. seeing there taking place? What's sort of the, the temperature of things?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, just for uh, discussion purposes, you know, uh, that generation is typically, you know, is kind of typically called Generation Z. Uh, right. That would be kind of the ages between. Uh, Depends on how you define that between four and 24. So I'm thinking I taught junior high, high school, college students. Um, As they're getting older now in high school and in college, a a lot more data is coming out on Gen Z and the way they think. Uh, Probably one of the most eye opening ones was uh, an article released by Wall Street Journal uh, three, four months ago. And it said this, that less than 30 percent of Generation Z says religion is very important to them. So not even Christianity, not even born again, saved, sure. any of that lingo, just religion, period. So if that is true, then that makes them the least religious generation we've ever seen, um, really since the, the formation of the United States. And yeah. so they're, they're truly, I think in Generation Z, you're seeing a true post-Christian generation from a post-Christian culture. Um, yeah. Now, and then that same generation, this was also eye opening and we 're speaking ten thousand foot view here is that uh over eighty five percent said that living a self fulfilled life is very important to them so I think as ministries parachurch ministries uh local churches student ministries that 's the threshold across when less than thirty percent says religion is important to them, and then you got so you got a very non religious generation and but over eighty percent says that living a self-fulfilled life is very important. That's the threshold to cross. Help them understand that living a fulfilled life comes from someone outside of self. So peace, like, yeah, God wants you to be fulfilled. God wants you to have peace and joy and hope and purpose. But all those things are not going to come from you. That's going to come from someone outside of you, which is the exact opposite message. They're being told as they grow up, right? Because they're being told, believe in yourself, follow your heart. Uh, make things happen for yourself. It's all about you, self-fulfillment, self-help, which is all really anti-gospel message. So those things are important to them. They just got to realize it's got to come out from outside itself. So I think yeah. that's the threshold across. Yeah. That's, that's, uh,
0: we've uh, we've had, an, and somebody that you may want to partner with, and and I think it was early on, I, I don't remember the episode number, a guy by the name of Hayden Shaw. Hayden's a generation expert. Um, he works for Franklin Covey, actually, but, but works with churches and sort of some generational research and he's saying very similar things. We're seeing some similar data out of Barna and really where, where Rob and I who's going who's, to mention is not here where we started this conversation and why we have the podcast at all is because the questions, we had two questions. Um, and we have, we have older teens and so it affected our house and our life in, in sort of thinking and in perspective. We, and we work on a college campus as well, why are they leaving the church and are they coming back? So mm-hmm. what we see is this exodus of students um, at 16, 17, they get driver's license, they get jobs, they, they sort of leave the youth group, they get to college, they leave the church. Um, how do we do some things to slow that down or recapture their hearts?
1: Yeah, yeah, oh man, so many, so many layers. To in that again, you know, um, you know, I think another thing that is kind of can be identified with this generation as well, uh, is, uh, emotional health. You know, uh, right. how old are you? How old are you? I'm 42. Yeah. Okay. So I just turned 41. All right. So you know how like our generation and then like older millennials, uh, we used to always like self diagnose ourselves with ADD or ADHD. You know, yeah. like w- whether we had it or not, we all thought we did. You know, we're like, oh, yeah. my, you know, because of my ADD. Well, I feel like young millennials in Gen Z are doing this exact same thing, but they're doing it with depression and anxiety.
0: That's so, so true.
1: Whether, they, whether they're clinically diagnosed or not, we know that's real clinical, but whether they're clinically diagnosed or not, they all think they have depression or anxiety. Um, I don't know if you saw where the version like released the, the number one, uh, like kind of searched uh, scripture last year and it was, uh, from Philippians about don't be anxious, you know? And right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think, uh, there's going to be some emotional health things that we need to prepare them for in our discipleship process. So if okay. that's a part of our discipleship process, uh, if it's not, we got to show them biblically how to uh, practice self-control emotional health. And then I think on the more practical level, um, I think like, Doctrine and theology uh, and discipleship in student ministry is so key. Uh, And what I mean by that is my fear is, is we are releasing people out of our student ministries to go to universities or go to the workforces. And they do not know how to articulate their faith. They do not know how to defend their faith. Uh, They know how to ride go-karts and eat pizza and uh, do lock-ins but when they go to a university and, um, and their faith is challenged, they have nothing, uh, to stand on whatsoever, you know? And then I think another thing as parents is we also have to, uh, we have to make student ministry and, uh, being involved in a local church, serving the local church, being a community, being known by the local church, a high priority. Um, and I'll, And and I'm talking about Christian parents. Uh, Sadly, what I see over and over again is church is an elective. It's not a high priority, right? right? So like if there's no select baseball practice, if there's no homework, uh, if there's no band recitals, if there's no this, if it's not raining, uh, if it's not too sunny, because then you'd be outside, if all these things, then you go to church. And so if we don't make church a high priority for them while they're children and students, then we should not make. We should not be surprised when church is not a high priority to them when they become young adults. You know.
0: Yeah. So yeah. so has and this has been and I don't know if I put in the question. So we're kind of just off off the cuff here, and it's it's been a tension I've been trying to figure out for myself because I was in youth ministry and we had sort of the model youth ministry that was like a youth worship service model, and we had the preaching and the teaching, and I always said I was a bad youth pastor because I hated the games. I just wanted to preach, but. Yeah. Um, but the silo style of ministry where we, where we put them away in their own space. Yep. um, And then when they, when that doesn't sort of that flavor changes when they come into the larger church um, and and they're like, well, it's not like youth ministry. Has that been a help or a hindrance or, or is there a model shift coming? What do you foresee kind of taking place to help us keep kids in the faith and in the church?
1: Yeah, man, that is, uh, dude, I'm right with you. I think, I don't think it's an either or. I think it's a both. I think there is a place for age specific or life stage specific ministries. Um, And I would say, especially in the areas of evangelism, I think that's, but when it comes to discipleship, we have to get better at multi-generational discipleship. Like what are some ways that we can get some older brothers with some younger brothers, some older sisters, with some younger sisters, like as the church, especially in our American evangelical context, we don't practice Titus chapter two very well. Um, And we almost make it impossible. You know, the older, take the younger, uh, older men, take the younger man, older, older sisters, take the younger sister because we separate everybody. We separate the family. We say, all right, all the children go over here. All the students go over here. All the young singles go over here. All the, Married with kids go over here. All the empty nesters go over here, um, and they're never together. Um, like you said, almost especially student ministry on some level, it's operating as a church within a church. Right. And so on, almost on some level, and practically, when they turn eighteen, you're asking them to join another church, uh, even though they've been meeting at the same building. You're asking them to go into a church that really they have no relationship or connection to, because that student ministry is operated. As, like, a church within a church. I think one of the best ways that we can practice that multi generational life on life discipleship is in serving together. Um, I put That's on good. I put on Twitter today, um, and I think I shared it on Instagram. I don't know if you, you saw it, but I basically I think I shared this. it to my story. Yeah. Is that the, I, that the, the, the age thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Go I ahead and this, walk it yeah. out. It's on my yeah. story.
0: It's on my story. I know this will come afterwards, but it's on my story. I love yeah, it. Yeah,
1: so, yeah. So basically, I just tweeted out, I just, 13-year-olds take pre-AP classes, 14-year-olds create their own brands on social media, 15-year-olds prepare to operate motor vehicles, 16-year-olds enter the workforce, 17-year-olds conquer pre-cal, 18-year-olds hold weapons protecting our freedoms in the military. So students can serve the church, and not only can they do it, let them do it, train them to do it, and expect them to do it. And, man, you talk about a great multi-generational life-on-life discipleship is when you have a 65-year-old brother and a 17-year-old brother uh, greeting people at the same door on Sundays. Uh, When you have a a 14-year-old sister uh, with a a 34-year-old sister. Uh, taking up a, the offering together, you know, whatever, whatever the avenues, you know, are doing, or working in the sound booth together or whatever that looks like. And you talk about great opportunities of life on life. Discipleship is when they are finding ways to serve together multi-generationally.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's valuable. I think um, especially in, in the area of serving either in the church or outside the church, that, that commonality, that, that sort of common moment, um, creates a tie between people. I, I don't know what it is about serving, and I've just learned this my whole life. Um, one of my mentors is, is, a, is actually now the director of service learning here at the university, but, but he modeled this so well and, and taught it so well to me that, that if you can be a servant, there, there seems to be a connection not just to the people you're serving, but the people you serve with. So yeah. I think that's a valuable tool. If, if, if leaders are listening and you want to know how to get people, young people connected to older people in your church, Shane just dropped that on you that, that you need to write that down, that the serving together is a critical component of that. So what's some, besides just what you said, the greeters, what's some other areas of serving that you think that would help bring that multi-generational kind of connection?
1: Yeah, man. So, yeah. You know, I think one of the—I was in student ministry as well—and I think one of the best things uh, that that I did—I wish I would have done done more of it—is that we would actually uh, try to recruit some of the uh, some of our youth leaders from the senior adult class, for lack of a better term, you know, the senior adult ministry—and they became some of our favorite uh, leaders. Man, students wanted to be around them because it reminded them of their grandparents, you know, and sometimes a generation will identify more with not the generation right above them, but the previous two to three generations, you know, cause the pendulum continues to shift back and forth. And so I would say even mission, you know, like I, we do so much student ministry mission trips and I understand that I get that, but what if the adults, uh, did and students did mission trips together? I think those are done well, uh, where it's multi-generational mission trips, it's multi-generational outreach, It's multi generational small groups. You know, what if we were, what if some of our small groups, instead of we were only age specific, they were multi generational small groups, you know? And then I think that discipleship, understanding what discipleship is, because I think once again, in our Western context, often when we think of, hey, we need to start a discipleship program, or we need to start evangelism training. Typically, what we mean is, is we're going to start a new class, right? We're going to get yeah. in a classroom with desk and chairs, there's going to be a master teacher and a whiteboard, or we're all going to read this book together. And I'm sure that happens on some level in the New Testament. But most of the you saw was just life and life, like, hey, this is going to be evangelism training. We're going, to, we're going to partner you up with someone who does it well, and they're maybe in their 50s, and you're 15, and y'all are going to go share the gospel together. Or, you know, we're going to go do this thing together outside the walls of a building.
0: Yeah. And the, the problem with that, Shane, and for most leaders, is that's messy. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not, the class is clean. I can give you a curriculum. I can give you a yeah. book. I can say, here's an attendance roster, or whatever it is. The, the life on life gets a little bit messy for some people. And, and that's maybe the greatest challenge. But, but, but I think you're dead on that the New Testament, if you read it, it's kind of messy at times. I mean, you just see the, the people interacting and the exchange. And Paul, even at times, calling people into correction and, mm-hmm. and, and even calling Peter into correction. So we see this, this give and take. Um, so, so how do we move from, and I'll say, I think, I think you're right in that it's an and and not an or. But how do we take people from a classroom setting who are accustomed to that classroom setting and move them into what we would context, maybe mentoring um, and especially mentoring across generations?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's more like doing things together. You know, like if say there's a, there's a guy that enjoys hunting. I live in Texas, you know, there's a bunch of hunters, And like, I think rallying around hobbies, you, you know, um, that, there can be affinity type ministries that don't have to be age-based. Maybe it's surrounding more of those hobbies and those interests of, hey, as we're going out and hunting this weekend, there's a bunch of teenagers with a bunch of adults and they're all hunting or whatever. And then in that are natural conversations. Or, uh, I mean, here's the thing about, I love how it works. You know, like here's the deal is most 16 year olds can figure out any iPhone, maybe the 70 year old can't. But most 16 yeah. year olds have no clue how to change their oil when the 65 year old guy does. Yeah. I mean, and so, and, and maybe that's, it sounds so simple. And I think because it sounds so simple, we shy away from it. But evangel, evangelism and discipleship can be done with the hood of a car up, changing oil, you know, uh, right. it's just finding things that we enjoy doing interest, finding others that have the same interest and naturally in that talking, sharing, Hey, what are you reading in the Bible? When's the last time you shed your faith? Hey, are you looking at anything inappropriate? I mean, all those same questions that can be asked in a classroom can be asked out living life together, watching a ball game together.
0: Yeah, yeah. and I wonder if if I mean those questions are maybe never comfortable, but yeah. I wonder if those questions are are more readily received in a context outside of a classroom. That, no that if there's investment in if I'm investing in someone younger or or from the young person being invested into when tough questions come, they almost feel more trustworthy by somebody willing to make an investment in your life than someone standing in front of a whiteboard going, here's how you live for Jesus. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think trust might be a key element in that conversation is, is, is I'm, I'm investing in you. So now what I have to say becomes trustworthy because I think if I've learned anything about, about Gen Z and we had that conversation earlier, they are an untrusting generation. Like yeah. trust is, is a slowly earned like process for them. Um, and so maybe in this conversation we're having about discipleship really comes a secondary conversation of earning trust with them so that the hard things can be said and received in love. Because yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but the, the young people I encounter do not want to be corrected. <laughs>
1: Like, yeah, yeah.
0: Like, like they, yeah. they don't want to be told they're wrong. Most yeah, of right, right. Yeah. Uh, and so I think I think in this this concept of discipleship really comes this idea of trust and love and and investment. That if we can make investments in people, um, then the tough conversations are are never easier to have. They're just be, they're better well received. Yeah. Um, and I think that might be a critical component to the whole
1: piece. Yeah. yeah, I agree with you. And I mean, once again, this sounds so simple, but it was it it really created some awesome opportunities. So whenever I was pastoring a church, uh, it was a larger church, fast growing, there was all these softball teams. I said, you know what, I'm going to join one of those softball teams and play with them because I enjoy playing. But what yeah. i found is the, the 12 guys, 13 guys that were on that softball team. And I'm talking about, these are guys they are all probably anywhere between, you know, early twenties to, you know, late thirties or whatever. But what I found is those 12 guys that I would play that season with, whatever those guys were, is I could learn more about, especially men, I could learn more in one night of playing softball with them than I would in six months at church. Because on a, in, in that morning, at Sunday morning su- service, right. they're not catching me afterward and confessing everything they're struggling with or anything <laughs> like that. But when we're on a softball field and then afterward we're standing at our trucks hanging out in the parking lot, they're like, hey, pastor, um, man, my wife and I are going through this. Could you pray for us? Or, Man, I got this going on in my job like it would have took me six months at Sunday morning services to learn that where it took one right. softball game. You know, there is yeah. something about being outside the walls of a building that has a steeple on top that really does for lack of a better term, bring walls down. And then I think of another scenario of that kind of life on life, watching someone do it is uh, this just happened a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was speaking at an event uh, afterward, uh, me and the worship band, uh, we go out to eat and uh, I get, I always ask our waiter or waitress when they bring our food, like, hey, we're about to pray for our food. Uh, Is there anything we can pray for you about? And this guy, he uh, says, yeah. And he shares. And then in that we got in this gospel conversation and uh, the guy that was playing the drums in the band. I think he said he was 19. He goes, man, I, I hate to admit this, but I can't remember the last time I got in a gospel conversation with someone outside the walls of a building. And watching how easy that was inspires me to do that. You know, and so that's so simple. But here's the deal is I could have sat in a classroom with him for six weeks saying, OK, we're going to work through this tool together, this curriculum. And that may have not accomplished anything, but just sitting, doing life together, having a meal together. He got to witness it, see it. And he goes, man, I can do this, you know
0: right i think i think being a christian in context and and what you're sharing with us is really that the the softball field the sunday lunch the wherever we are just just contextually living the 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 faith out living the gospel out in front of people and with people i think i don't want to say has more I, i that may be a false statement but but it may be true more impact than sometimes the classroom does or even the Sunday morning service. And as a couple of preachers, we don't like to always say that. Because no, 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 we no, want to believe no, that I, that we have this the best message ever. It yeah, that was from right. the throne of God and changed yeah. everybody's life. But yeah. what I've realized is sometimes a midnight coffee conversation has greater weight than even the message. Yeah. Um, and yeah. living this contextual Christianity is a is a profound thing to do. And and what's hard, and let's I want to shift the conversation just a little bit is our context. And culture is lived out a lot on social media yeah um, and, and you're sort of navigating that you've got you got tweens in your house you're yep. you're speaking to to teenagers frequently you're speaking to leaders of teenagers and, and young adults how do we sort of look at that that really is a tool Instagram Twitter Facebook wherever people are and guard against some of the dangers of it
1: yeah yeah, I think if we can change just this simple thought and how we approach social media, it would go a long way. You know, one thing that, you know, and, and I'm sure you do say in preaching to live on mission, to live missional lives. So, you know, whether that's adults, students, college students, whatever, uh, senior adults, so like, hey, live on mission, live missional life. So that means, hey, your job is a mission field. Your school is a mission field, your neighborhood, your family, the nations are a mission field. But we always stop there. What we got to realize now is there's a whole nother mission field, which is social media. So I always say like, I always say, hey, people say, well, what's my ministry? What's my mission field? I always say, hey, well, look at your two feet. You see that ground between your two feet, that ground between your two feet at any point of the day is your mission field well now we also have digital footprints so that 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 digital space between your digital footprints is your mission field at any point of day so it changes the way you see everything your twitter feed is not just so you can complain uh, or share your political views or or make fun of everybody else like your twitter is a mission field your instagram is a mission field your facebook your snapchat whatever that is a mission field, your YouTube channel. That's a mission field. So how are you approaching your mission field? And I always say, like, you gotta stop and say, okay, does this post represent my identity in Christ? Is this post advancing the mission or is this distracting from the mission? Yeah, it's you know? good. And sometimes it's just fun, right? Sometimes it's what you're eating, whatever. Like, but like stop and go, man, if this is gonna distract. From advancing the kingdom, it does not belong on social media. You know, yeah. um, it's just like you know. I think in per, uh, if for some reason, uh, I mean, we all know people who are one way in person, and then they get behind their phone screen or they get on social media and they become somebody else. And you're like, hey, would you say that in your job, or or would you post? You know, would you have that uh, loud opinion? Uh, uh, in your work with your friends that you're trying to reach with the gospel. If not, let's not put it on social media either. So are you seeing your social media as a mission field? Do you see yourself almost as a digital missionary? Um, And if we could start seeing ourselves like that, I think it really would change the paradigm on a lot with social
0: media. I I agree. And we've revealed our ages and at, at the age we're at, that makes a lot of sense. How do you help a young person, Who who is dealing with some of the anxieties, some of the FOMO, some of the all the things going on? Take that 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 thousand dollar computer in their hand and change their perspective to see that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that is so hard. I mean, think about every. So I have a thirteen year old. You have some uh, teenagers. Is. Think about all the things they experience right now that you and I didn't as teenagers. Right. Simply from social media, right? I mean, think about it. Like when you and I were in high school, if there was a party that we didn't get invited to, chances are we probably would have never known about it. So it really didn't or affect us. Or not known that for much. three days. Yeah, or we didn't know until later. It didn't affect right. us. Think about I mean that party is being played out right in front of their eyes in that moment and they're very aware that they were not invited. I mean, think about the anxiety that just goes up from that, you know? Right. Um, honestly, I don't know what the solution of that is uh, besides just staying off of it, you know? But I don't think that's the answer either because I think yeah. the sovereignty of God has given us this as a great tool for the, the Great Commission. I really do think it can be a gift from the Lord. Um, and so once again, I think it just goes back to the gospel, finding your identity in Christ uh, and, find, and, and being okay with who God created you to be because I think another thing with Gen Z is sometimes there is more of a concern about your social identity even more than your real identity you know it's almost like they they will work harder to present themselves one way digitally than they even will in person you know Um, and just I think it all goes back to identity finding your identity in Christ your hope in Christ And, uh, and also to know that, uh, your high school years and college years, we got to quit telling them that that's the best time of their life. Um, it's not, I think so many of them can only see that time in their life and they see it as most important. And we tell them those are the best years of their life. And it's not every year with the Lord should be sweeter and sweeter, you know? And so to say, Hey, uh, hopefully the Lord gives you a lot of days, uh, what happened today is hopefully not the end of the world, um, that there is eternity. Eternity's long. This is who you are in Christ. Be reminded of that. Um, but man, God, I don't know what the solution is. That, I mean, well, <laughs> I have a teenager in the house, you know, that sees that yeah. and she's like, why didn't I get invited to that or? or my friends are hanging out and I didn't know about that, you know, and they're like, Oh man. You're, yeah. Cause you hurt it, with them, you know?
0: It is, you do. And it's, it's, and I don't, I, I struggle to understand. I mean, I, I have, I have teenagers and, and we walk through it all the time and, um so if we if we figure it out we've got our next book so yeah, no but, doubt. But it's, a, it's a great <laughs> we, we can we can sell a lot of those so yep. but let's talk about your first book though let's, All right. let's since we haven't figured out the social media piece yep. we'll talk about the book you have written it's called nine common lies christians believe tell me where this came from where'd the idea for this book yeah. come from
1: yeah like so i mentioned while i go with our kids uh Our seven-year-old is adopted. His name is Titus uh, from Uganda. Titus has cerebral palsy, epilepsy. Uh, He's in a wheelchair. He's non-verbal, non-mobile. He's fed through a G-tube. And so the first year he was with us, he came uh, to be a part of our family when he was six months old. And that first year, uh, man, we really, really struggled. Um, I mean there is no kind of suffering like watching your children suffer and so watching him have seizures on a daily basis constant hospital visits uh, surgeries all those things is we would have well-meaning people would you know share sentiments like well you know god won't give you more than you can handle or you know you know what the bible says god won't give you more than you can handle and you're like that's not yeah. in the bible you know or you know if god calls titus home then gotta gain another angel or you know all those kind of things and so uh, it finally kind of got to a place where we're like hey what are some of those one-liners those cliches that we as the church, for lack of a better term, have adopted into our faith, baptized them, and made them a part of our vernacular that aren't necessarily biblically true, like God won't give you more you can handle, or God gains another angel, or follow your heart, believe in yourself, God just wants you to be happy. And we just kind of put together that list, and that's how that book uh, came together. It was really kind of from the overflow of our story. Right.
0: Yeah, no, I I was a sucker. I I think I had a follow your heart little... Like, I don't know, wall hanging or something. And then I realized it wasn't true and like it hit him in the goodwill pile. I mean, yeah. like my heart led me astray sometimes. Yeah, I was no like, doubt. this is crap advice. I mean yeah.
1: I'm gonna follow my heart right into a ditch, is what I'm like. <laughs>
0: yeah. 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 I kept following my heart into more and more food. It was just a yeah, bad sign. Was like, yeah, no it was like it really bad. Yeah, uh, no so how do we how do we combat this, Shane? I mean, I, I've read the yeah. book, but tell your listeners how do we combat these these lies and how do we recognize them in our life?
1: yeah 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 so yeah the book does just that it takes one of those lies one of those cliches one-liners and then what does the bible actually have to teach about it some truths to move forward with um i think one of the biggest problems um of why we believe these sentiments is that for a, we don't know the bible honestly like yeah. bible uh illiteracy Is almost at an all-time high right I mean we just don't know it's kind of what we talked about while ago with students we're releasing them into the world in the universities they don't really know doctrine and theology they don't know the Bible and so I think the same thing we hear a sentiment shared with us it sounds good uh, and so we just regurgitate what others have told us um, in those moments now I I do want to be clear like you know uh, being in ministry I've done way too many funerals for young people right and so I in no way would I say if you're doing a funeral and uh, a 32-year-old mom is weeping because she just buried her five-year-old son and she go, well, I guess God needed another angel. That is not the place to get in a theological debate with her. Well, you know agree. I mean? Yeah. I agree, yeah. Yeah, but when cooler heads prevailed, emotions are set to the side, what we know is often we share these sentiments with people who are struggling, right? You don't say God won't give you more than he can handle. To someone who's having the best day of their life you usually yeah. share with someone who is struggling or going through a trial tribulation right. what we know is what's going to get us through those dark nights of the soul is god's truth god's word is always going to be a lot more effective than some little cultural cliche that's not even biblically true so i think we have to know the word we have to understand truth and then we have to be able to articulate that in a loving kind prayerful way
0: yeah i mean, I agree it's it's the biblical biblical illiteracy issue is one. I think that as the church, we're gonna to have to address and address in some way in some fashion um again, Rob and I work with students and and we we engage a lot in conversations and counseling um and I was blown away. We were in a small group that my wife and I lead, and we were unpacking some some basic Christian doctrine and asking sort of prompting questions. And and I, I hope I reserved my face because what I felt inside was, oh my gosh, they don't know the basics.
1: Yeah. Um
0: yeah, right. it was like, and like like the the gasp was inside. I don't think it came out of my mouth, but the gasp was inside. And I was like, they don't know this little simple thing. Mm-hmm. Um and, and and so the shift was okay, we gotta help them understand it, um, rather than just the astonishment. But yeah. so how do we move to from the go-karts and the pizza? Of youth ministry and even young adult ministry, we we have that to really helping them understand who Jesus is and and what the Bible says for their life. Yeah. What are some methodologies we can use?
1: Yeah, I think I think we start really at ground zero. We can't, you know, once again, you're dealing with a post post Christian generation. You're right. dealing with a a, a vastly non religious generation, so we can't. Even in our teaching, preaching, communicating, we can't say, hey, yeah, remember when David's slain Goliath? They're like, no, you know, or hey, you remember Jonah and the big fish? No. Or, you know, or we can't we can't use uh, we can't just throw out like words like grace and mercy and righteousness and holiness and the hypostatic union in Christ without explaining it. We need to get really good at explaining all those terms. Like if we're going to use churchy language, we need to define everything and not assume that they know it already you know yeah and so i so truly starting at the basics of our faith and then i think if we can get students to help them be able to articulate their testimony and be able to articulate just the pure gospel the life death burial resurrection of christ repentance of faith Then that is also going to help them in a long way, not just so they can share their faith with others, but so they they can be reminded, right? Because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And -hmm. if they can say, No, I remember when I surrendered to Jesus, I know the gospel, they're able to communicate the gospel to themselves, share their, remind themselves of their testimony. I think all those things are extremely helpful and important. Yeah. Yeah, So I think there is a value in verse by verse learning, verse by verse preaching, verse by verse. Uh, communications you know
0: yeah I, I would agree that 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 we got to get the Bible into into a generation um, a lot of our a lot of our audiences people not necessarily students but those leading students leading young adults wanting to engage in young adults engage with young adults uh, what would you say to the pastor or the leader who just doesn't know where to begin how to yeah. how to reach that audience what, yeah. what what could you say to them
1: yeah. 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 I would say get involved with your community. I think sometimes as the church, we're always trying to reinvent what's already maybe being done well, you know what I mean? And so like, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes like, man, I don't want to get on like church league sports, you know, like, uh, you know, like church league basketball, you know, little dribblers basketball and all those things. I think that's valuable. I think there's a place for that. Uh, but sometimes like we stay in the building so much that we disconnect from culture you know, right. instead of starting a basketball league at your church, what if you go and get involved in a basketball league that's already taken place? So volunteer, uh, like whether it's coaching, uh, the school tutoring, like wherever students are, go and and help serve, get with them. You can't reach people that you're never around, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and culture has shifted. You know, there was a day, where you almost had to explain to people why you didn't go to church, right? Because most people expected people to go to church on Sunday mornings. So you almost had to, ex- if you didn't go to church, you had to explain to people why you didn't go to church. Now it's shifted to where you almost have to explain to people why you do go to church. They're not just gonna come to your building, right? You can't, like, hey, we're gonna put up a sign and everybody's gonna come in our building. You have to go to where the people are. So whether it's tutoring at the school, whether it's like after school programs, whether it's coaching, whether, um, it's, you know, whatever, um, find a need, find something that's already going on in the community for the next generation, and then go be the hands of feet and get involved in volunteer and serve and what's already going on.
0: Yeah. That's valuable. Yeah. I think that's a very, you mentioned sort of that, that missional life. That's really the heart of what we have to do. Mm-hmm. Like they're no longer as the church, let's speak as, as church leaders, we we can't just put up a building, put up a sign, and expect them to come to us. We can't put up a building, put up an Instagram, and expect them to come to us. Yeah, I mean, that's right. That's yeah. that's the the, the the new outdoor sign is our Instagram yep. or a YouTube video. Which which I'm not yep. downing those things. Those are benefits, but missionally living out the gospel and equipping your your leadership and your your pe- the people of your church to live that way really is probably the most effective way to to infuse uh, the gospel into where we live. Um, yeah. So I yeah. agree. I think that missional mindset is, is what we have to start to live out. Um, so for the leader, the pastor, let me just redirect the question in a similar, different way. Um, how does the pastor release maybe the people of his church or, or cast a vision for them to go do things like this?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's honestly helping people understand how to live missionally and what they're already doing. I get, you know, like if you have young families, chances are you have young families with kids who are playing Little League, right? And so, hey, how do you see yourself as a missionary and what you're already doing? You know, um, because uh, most young families are hanging out with other young families. Teenagers are hanging out with other teenagers. So how do we mobilize the army that God's already given us? in the context that they're already living their daily life. You know, hey, it's always fun to start something new. It's always fun to launch a nonprofit. It's always fun to launch a ministry. Those are things are great. Do them awesome. But how do we help people say, hey, when you're going to your your son's Little League game, you're not there just to watch, but look for opportunities to share your faith with other young families. And that's how I think you grow ministry too. Cause here's the deal yeah. is that if, if you're looking to grow your church with young families, then mobilize your young families to go reach other young families. Cause here's the deal is like, if John is 32 and he shares the gospel uh, with his friend, Chad, who's 32, well, guess what? If Chad surrenders to Jesus, he's coming to John's church. He's not going to go visit a church that he doesn't know anybody. He's going to go exactly. visit the yeah. church of the person who invested in him, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think with would, would your point, be, with uh, your point being the softball game or the baseball game or wherever we're at, odds are that person you're sitting next to is has a need or is hurting in their life. Yep. I, I think yeah, yeah. people people around us we don't recognize maybe the the hurt other people have that that they're not going to maybe verbalize to us without relationship. And so yeah, I think right. I mean a, a, an incredible point that, that you're sort of drawing up about this missional living is odds are the person next to you has a need yeah. um and, and odds are as we know in a, in a very unchurched world they're not attending church somewhere or they're not yeah. saved or they're not connected to a community um of faith and so so i think being aware and just engaging in those conversations can bring to light some things that we go hey you have this need let me help you meet the need and a lot of time that need is is a spiritual need
1: yeah, no doubt. And I think as Christians, I, I feel like sometimes the longer we're a Christian, um the older we get, the more we get in a bubble to cuz I run into people that all the time and go, "Hey, I want to share my faith." I don't know any lost people. Well, yeah. I, we have to intentionally and and it has to be. That's the word. Intentionally find ways to be around lost people, whether it's joining a gym, uh whether it's you know joining some affinity group or some like there has to be a way to, yeah. Like so a, a friend of mine, he works for a Christian ministry. Uh, we're all friends. So all of us are Christians. And he told me that he goes, man, I don't know any lost people. And so what he did is uh, he joined the gym and he goes, well, Hey, I want to get healthy. But his main purpose with the join the gym is he wanted to meet other people who are not believers and be around lost yeah. people.
0: Yeah. I think that's valuable, man. Listen, yeah. Shane, I've loved this conversation. I yeah. know you got to go, you've got some young people or some other uh, <laughs> leaders to, to speak with and hang out with there where you are. Uh, we have one final question. We ask every guest on our podcast. We are hosted here on a college campus and Rob and I are constantly engaging with college students. And we, we love that season of life. Yeah. What's one lesson you learned in college that didn't take place in the classroom though?
1: Oh man. Yeah. This, So, you know, we've been talking a lot about sharing our faith and, and discipleship mission. So I didn't grow up in the church. I became a Christian at 21. All right. So when I became a Christian, God saved me out of kind of the party lifestyle and all that. So I'll never forget my pastor was like, what are you going to do with your life? And I said, I don't know. And he goes, why don't you at least go to Bible college and learn the Bible? I was like, I didn't know there was (laughs) a Bible college. So I remember like I started Bible college like six months after becoming a Christian. And uh, so, so I remember walking in and I mean, you'll appreciate this bit. I remember walking in and here's all these guys and girls preparing for ministry. So they're, they're doing what Bible questions do. They're debating Calvinism and Arminianism. I had no idea what they were talking about. You know, I just <laughs> learned the book of Job was Job and not Job. You know, um, And so I had some professors uh, like pour into me, disciple yeah. me, take an interest in me. So for me, Christian college, yes, I learned. I got a great degree, learned how to do ministry, form you know, was able to build doctrine and theology. But that literally was the place I was disciple, and yes, in the classroom on some level. But mainly, I learned how to be a follower of Jesus, how to be a man, a future husband, uh, while sitting and eating a hot dog or on the basketball court. I was a basketball yeah. player, so on the basketball court, and uh, by going. To uh, uh, their house and watching them sit down as a family and eat dinner together, watching them uh, read the Bible to their kids before putting them to bed, and so uh, that's what I learned was how to basically uh, imitate the lifestyles of those professors. You know, it's what Paul said: "Imitate me as I imitate the Lord." And I got yeah. to do that. Imitate some guys as they were imitating the Lord. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. Awesome. Hey, Shane, we appreciate your time. Also, this is a great book for anyone who yeah. want to pick it up. It's Nine Common Lies Christian Believe by Shane Pruitt. A great read. It's a great resource. Some of the things that you may think that are in the Bible or may realize that you weren't believing. That was sort of the cases I've picked through it. Shane, how can people stay connected to you?
1: Yeah, great. So my website is just ShanePruitt.com, P-R-U-I-T-T. ShanePruitt.com. And on there, you can find articles blogs sermon videos clips um, all kind of things and then on social media on twitter and instagram is just at shane underscore pruitt 78 got it
0: all right awesome hey we we are so thankful for your time and i know rob missed out on a great conversation i'll have to catch him up on what we talked about and uh we appreciate you coming on here and as we always say here at the collective Co podcast you have a seat at the table thanks for coming on
1: Hey, man, it's been a true honor, man. Anytime. I love being on. Hey,
0: thanks for listening to this episode of the Collections Code Podcast. Would you do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review, and share this on social media so this content can reach other great leaders?